if you give employees new technologies and actually you are augmenting employees to be more efficient um, and being able to do more work or work just in a better way, you also have to think about the skills. And I think that adds a very new dimensions to, to, to workforce planning to not only think about how many people will I need, what is the supply and the demand, it's also which kind of employee do I need and what are actually, let's say, uh, the critical skills and capabilities we need as an organization. Hi, I'm David Green, and this is episode four of series 16 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. You just heard Ralph Buxenschuss, Global Head of Org Design, Analytics and Digitalization at Zurich Insurance Company, speaking about how the future of work, which we both agree is most definitely already here, and how it necessitates a skills-based approach to workforce planning. The unpredictability and pace of change facing organisations today is without doubt a major challenge, a challenge only exacerbated since the start of the pandemic. It's a skills-based approach to workforce planning that has the potential to position the HR function as a strategic partner to the business by addressing business priorities as they arise. Let's say workforce planning comes alive, as said, in a very natural way because it's part of that strategic discussion with the business. And I think it also lifts up, let's say, the standing of HR because it's not looking at an HR process, it's really trying to say, how can we really deliver on our business strategy um, and having, let's say, this conversation um, yeah, with the different business stakeholders and then pulling in the right um, expert across HR to say, if, it, if it's about capability building, we bring in the experts on training, capability building. If it's about recruitment, we bring in the experts on recruitment um, and so on and so on. Throughout this episode, Ralph and I discuss why it's high time to stop viewing workforce planning as a cyclical process and instead view the starting point to any workforce planning activity as the business strategy and in particular specific business challenges as they arise. We also discuss Ralph's ingenious use of organisational network analysis in workforce planning to understand the flow of expertise throughout the organisation. Finally, we take a look at workforce planning and org design, how these two activities can be viewed as two sides of the same coin and how bringing both under the same umbrella can help HR deliver more value to the business. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Ralph Buxenschuss, uh, Global Head of Org Design, Analytics and Digitalization at Zurich Insurance to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Ralph. It's great to have you on the, on the show. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to, your, to you and your role at, at, at Zurich Insurance? Of course. So um, at the moment, I'm yeah, Head of um, Org design, uh, analytics, and digitalization. And we look very broadly on the topics of people analytics, workforce planning, data driven org design, and digitalization to really ensure that we bring, let's say, tailored insights not only to, to our senior stakeholders, but also, let's say, to, to our employees to ensure that we make um, data based uh, decisions about our people and our workforce. Just great. You've got all those kind of elements together. What's the thinking of bringing people analytics, org design and, and workforce planning together? So in detail, I touched on that at a later stage, but I think it's very important to 
not look at, for example, analytics in isolation. It's really leveraging the analytical capability and link it to a purpose or, let's say, to your strategy. And that comes to life through strategic workforce planning, but really understanding where do we want to take our business and bringing in, let's say, the right insights through our analytical capability into these, let's say, strategic conversations. We've met before in previous roles that, you, that, that, that you've done. You've been in the PEEP analytics field for around a decade now. It's been, you know, if we think back to 2011, uh, you know, 10 years ago, PEEP analytics has changed dramatically since then. What, what are some of the big changes that you've seen during that time? So I think it's a, let's say, technology is a huge driver because in the end of performing quite sophisticated analysis um, back in the day was, let's say, quite complicated. So it was like, yeah, there were like, let's say, tools like Excel, advanced uh, Excel analysis, and then let's say in early stages, certain um, other statistical tools you could use. I think today, um, technology changed significantly how you perform actual analysis um, and bring actual analytics to life and also scale that up. Um, let's say, to the whole entire workforce. And also, let's say, analytics isn't staying anymore within HR. You can really scale it up across the whole business thanks to new technologies. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. When we um, we did uh, we, we do an annual research survey at, at Insight 222, and last year we actually asked, um, I think it was over 60 global companies, you know, where are the three areas where people analytics is adding most value in your organization and actually the, the the category that came out top was was business you know business things like understanding sales uh thinking about compliance thinking about risk and everything else which is very different to what we probably would have seen 10 years ago when it probably would have been the top use cases that would have come out to be to study attrition uh to to support make help make recruiting more efficient and everything else so yeah as you said it, it's this it seems to have been a little sort of move away from People analytics focused on HR to people analytics focused on the business and, and the workforce, as, uh, as I know you're looking at um, at the moment. So we've looked at kind of how people analytics, briefly how people analytics has evolved. You know, what are your views on the role that people analytics has to play in the future of work? So I think in the future of work, um, and I think the future of work is mainly already here, especially yeah. the pandemic. We saw that digitalization and the use of new technology got accelerated at a very fast pace. I think the role of people analytics in many companies, um, and what we could see is that it's helping actually people to really understand how they really can stay, let's say, relevant in the in the in the market, uh, or let's say in the in the in the labor market. Yeah. But, okay, where do we have to upskill, reskill? And analytics can actually provide um, let's say a very clear view where you as a professional, let's say, have to reskill and upskill based on new technologies, um, on new requirements, um, do your job, um, and really can give you this tailored view instead of saying, well, go to a learning management system and good luck with the 10,000 courses we have there. Um, let's say analytics is really flipping it around and actually saying, hey, look, you are a professional, uh, you, are a professional you have these kind of skills, you have this profile, and actually if you want to progress in your career towards job A, B, C, you have actually to close this kind of skill gap. Um, so, hey, go to the learning management system. These are actually the recommendations. Um, and this is the way you can grow. Um, and analytics is, in the end, let's say, I think, the enabler to help people navigate, especially through these times of uncertainty. Yeah, it's not, it's not I like that because it's, it's like, you know, helping using analytics to help guide 
employees make decisions, as you said, around what they learn and how that helps them develop their careers within an organization. And I guess then at the same time, by doing that, it gives it gives the organization itself information that supports around workforce planning, uh, around investment in, in, in particular learning, exactly. uh, learning resources, et cetera. So let's let's get into some of the recent work that you've been doing on on workforce planning. You know, this is an area that's seeing huge interest um, amongst our audience uh, and also our our clients at Insight Two Two Two. So where we work, we've worked with about 80 80 organisations as part of the Insight Two 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 People Analytics program. And and actually, the topic they really wanted us to to work on a co creation basis with uh, over the last sort of twelve to eighteen months was around workforce planning. And our own research into work, it, that research that we then undertook in workforce planning shows in particular how our organizations are, are keen to adopt a, a skills-based approach to workforce planning. You know, what do you think are, are some of the things driving driving this trend? Well, I think workforce planning in a very traditional sense uh, was always looking, let's say, more at capacity planning to say, okay, how many people do we need? What is the supply and demand um, of the workforce? Potentially, if you're going through, let's say, the huge disruption in many industries like digitalization, you're also factoring actually automation to say, um, okay, how can I actually perform the same amount of work with less people because technology is actually enabling me or me as a company um, to do work more, more let's say, efficiently. Um, I think building on that, what we see is that if you give employees new technologies and actually you're augmenting employees to be more efficient um, and being able to do more work or work just in a better way, you also have to think about the skills. And I think that adds a very new dimensions to, to, to workforce planning to not only think about how many people will I need, what is the supply and the demand, it's also which kind of employee do I need and what I actually, let's say, uh, the critical skills and capabilities we need as an organization and then broken down to an individual level to say, okay, what is it we have today? And then let's say looking at the strategy overall of the company, of a function, of a line of business and actually saying um, the people we have today, uh, to which extent are they actually set up for success in terms of capabilities to execute on our priorities? And I think this is, let's say, really a crucial element where we see um, especially in the context of digitalization, uh, to say how can we really set up our employees uh, with the right skills, and then building in, let's say, a third dimension, uh, which is, let's say, all around org design, to say when we know how many people we need, uh, which kind of skills and capabilities uh, do we need, um, what is also then the right organizational setting, yeah. uh, um, and then in the end, closing the loop, um, also looking into the org design, uh, to really ensure that we can execute our business priority on the right way and really leveraging the full analytical capability reporting through, let's say, data-driven. Yeah, and I suppose it's, I mean, the automation seems to be driving a lot of this shift towards skills-based because, as you said, certain certain tasks can be automated uh, and that means that, you know, we need to look at, the, some of the skills are, are so there's new skills are going to be required you know if we think about how industries are being disrupted by by technology and by automation um you know and what that means for from a customer's perspective it means that we've probably even traditional organizations and traditional industries are delivering things in a in a different way in new ways 
requires different skills and it's important to understand what those skills are isn't it as, as, you, as you said understand do we have those skills in the organization at the moment can we grow those skills within the organization do we need to bring new skills in and then and then i like that way that you've got that third dimension of okay then then how do we structure the organization exactly. uh moving forward and i guess that then that question I asked you at the start about why you pull those areas of people analytics, workforce planning, and all design together—you've just kind of answered that with 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 the, with your with your answer there. Um, so, in a in a practical uh, sense, ha- you know, how does how does workforce planning deliver value to the business, and 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 how do you communicate that value to to gain further buy-in and engagement from business stakeholders? Because I think this is a to challenge a challenge around workforce planning is it doesn't become a tick box exercise, but you can actually measure the impact that it can have. I think it's really, let's say, bringing, um, let's say, people planning together with business planning and really ensuring that we look at our business strategy, sitting at the same table and actually laying out um, what are the people-related risks um, if we want to implement our strategic priorities. And workforce planning comes there to life, I think, in a very natural way. So it's not perceived as nature process. So we don't go each year through the workforce planning, um, let's say, process. And as you say, we just tick the box. Um, no, it's really to say, how can we actually ensure that when we want to uh, plan and, let's say, execute on our um, business priorities, what is the impact on the workforce? Are we really set up for success? And what are, let's say, the different areas where we have to ensure that uh, we have the right amount of people, the right skills and capabilities, and also the right organizational setup to really deliver uh, what we want to deliver and not to say, oh, actually, we want to, whatever, enter into a new market, launch a new product, but actually we don't have the right people or actually our organization is not really ready to move into a new, let's say, business venture. And then, let's say, workforce planning comes alive asset in a very natural way because it's part of that strategic discussion with the business and i think it also lifts up let's say the standing of hr because it's not looking at an hr process it's really trying to say how can we really deliver on our business strategy um and having let's say this conversation um yeah with the different business stakeholders and then pulling in the right um, expert across hr to say if, it, if it's about capability building, we bring in the experts on training, capability building. If it's about recruitment, we bring in the experts on recruitment um, and so on and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And in, what I'd be interested as well is, um, you know, how do you, how do you understand the skills of your, of, of the workforce? I mean, what, what sort of, what ways do you understand the, the skills that you've got? And I guess, the skills that you need comes a little bit from looking at the business, looking at some external um, data out there, maybe looking at what competitors are doing and, and, and where they're hiring. But I'm really interested to understand how you understand the skills of, uh, of of the people you've got. So it all starts again, let's say, with the, with the strategic priority. So we say, okay, um, we really understand where do we want to take the business. Um, and then from there, we identify what are the organizational capabilities we need. Uh, for example, saying, okay, we have to um, automate certain processes. We have to create whatever an outstanding customer experience. Uh, we have to build certain data science capability. I think these are all, let's say, certain um, elements um, everybody's seeing when we go through digitalization. 
And then we break that down and say, actually, if we look at the different functions, what are actually the skills, trainable skills um, at an employee level? So if we think about a professional in a specific um, function, what are really the skills this employee needs to deliver, let's say, um, on the strategic priorities? And then we run assessments on the skills to say, okay, what is actually the proficiency level um, of an individual or let's say of all individuals in this specific functions on all these strategic skills uh, we will need. Um, then in line, let's say with the business, you can quickly identify, okay, what are then the gaps to the desired end stage? Um, and you can then bring in, in the end, um, yeah, the whole, let's say, content on, on training to say, okay, how can we upskill and reskill people? You can define the upskilling and reskilling plans as well as say, okay, how do we have to actually mobilize, um, let's say, people internally and say, okay, how can we actually bring the right people where they are the most needed um, and so on and so on. And obviously this is a, this is a process that just goes on because you're always exactly. having to adapt and, and, and develop and learn. But you know, what is some of the feedback that, that you've had from the, from, the, from the business to date you know, and, and, and what, what's particularly working well, for example? I think when it comes especially to to the digital skills and the digital capabilities, um, I think there's a quite good understanding in general organizations to say, okay, on the skills we needed all our lives, it's quite well known who has which kind of skills and, and capabilities. When it comes to the new digital capabilities, um, in many cases, it's not that clear who has which kind of skill um, or if we have even people with these, let's say, new skills. Um, so in the end, getting, let's say, a clear baseline, where do we stand? Um, and getting like an inventory is very helpful to actually say, okay, actually, now we know um, what is what we have, what is um, or where are certain needs to develop certain capabilities so that we are actually um, in a good position to deliver on our priorities. But just having, let's say, that clarity and that baseline is let's say the first um, value uh, we deliver to the business. Yeah, yeah, it's that, it's that clarity, isn't it? Because you need to know that starting point, so you, you know what actions to take, and then you can track progress, I guess, and understand if you're closing that gap and how quickly, how quickly. When we come back in just a moment, Ralph and I get into how he is using organisational network analysis as part of his skills-based workforce planning approach. This series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast is sponsored by TechWolf. TechWolf uses AI to identify skills. Why? Because companies who know their workforce's skills data are better equipped to face change. The best insight in skills wins. But how? Getting skills data used to be a long administrative process. Not anymore. Thanks to TechWolf's breakthrough use of AI and natural language processing in particular, Skills can now automatically be extracted from HR and non-HR data sources like HRIS, learning platforms, or project management tools. With TechWolf's Connected Skills API, you can get a fully automated and continuous overview of your people's evolving skills in less than eight weeks. To learn more, visit techwolf.ai. That's techwolf.ai. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast with Ralph Buxenschus, Global Head of Org Design, Analytics and Digitalization at Zurich Insurance Company. Now, 
back to the conversation. I also know from from speak from previous conversations that you're using organizational network analysis as, as part of your skill-based approach. And I think that's something that um, I know listeners will be really interested to understand more about. So, so yeah, I mean, can you tell us a bit more about how you're using organizational network analysis as part of your skills-based approach to, to workforce? Yes, yeah, so that's actually quite exciting story because uh, we started some, some years ago to actually say, uh, so when we when we were exactly in this kind in, in these kind of conversations, I have to say we want to build, let's say, this digital capability um, in a specific business. Um, people said, "Yeah, well, actually, um, we don't really know who has actually these digital capabilities. Potentially, I know somebody there, but yeah, actually, in a different function, we always ask that guy uh, because he's really good." And we said, "Actually." If it's really, if we have, let's say, this critical capability actually sitting across the whole organization in different pockets here and there, actually we can apply network analysis to, to say, how can we actually understand um, the, the network of um, expertise and how actually expertise is flowing through, through the organization? Because we all know the org chart and the formal structure, but actually if you look at critical capabilities, they're not mapped out on an org chart. They're, they're, Expertise is getting hold by, by experts and they sit all across the organization. They neither sit in a specific function, neither business, they sit all across. And that's how we said then, okay, let's try to identify on specific capabilities, what are actually the capability networks um, in different parts of the organization. We actually say, again, what is our baseline when it comes to this capability? To whom do actually people reach out when they need expert advice in specific areas of expertise? And how can we actually strengthen, let's say, this uh, this expertise network and leverage, for example, also hidden experts, uh, giving them more, let's say, visibility and really leveraging them where the most needed and really, let's say, tapping into the capability we already have. And then also, let's say, combining it with the rescaling, upskilling to say, okay, how can we actually build on the capability we have? the visible one, the hidden one, um, but also, let's say, um, bring in new capabilities and plug them into the network. And that's an also, let's say, the nice link to, um, to org design because in the end, you are making an organization work and you leverage the informal network and the informal organization, um, which actually without our analytical capability and network analysis wouldn't be possible because you don't know how people are connected our expertise is flowing through the organization. And let's say bringing, um, again, our analytical capability into the planning process to really decode how different expertise networks or capability networks um, yeah, are connected, um, created actually a quite huge demand directly from the business um, to deliver these kind of analytical propositions um, as part of strategic workforce planning. Now that, that is fascinating. That, that is really interesting. That's a great use of, of uh, network analysis. How did you actually do that? Was that was that uh, active based uh, in terms of survey, or was there was there passive network analysis as well, or a bit of both? So we do it um, consciously always um, with the active approach. So we really reach out directly to the people explaining them, let's say, the whole purpose of the exercise um, and really asking them uh, to who do they reach out, um, let's say, to get certain expert um, advice 
um, on specific uh, critical capabilities. And yeah, and then in the end, in the back office, we are just stitching it together um, and then creating, let's say, the different views on, on the different networks. I suppose what's fascinating there is you can see how people uh, collaborate or reach out to that to that expertise both within teams but between teams you can see teams that are working well together and I guess you can then I don't know if you've done it yet but you you you, you probably have but then you can start linking it to performance as, as well of, of certain business units so you can see I don't know are our, our teams networks of teams that work well together are they delivering better outcomes for the customer um, I guess and and that helps give you some learnings which you can then as you said build in uh, as you try and develop those capabilities more widely across the organization so at the moment let's say we're applying organizational network analysis mainly on two types of networks one is as mentioned the, let's say the expertise networks so to really understand um what is the kind of capability we have and who's part of that network and then let's say also collaboration networks so how do we actually people work together and get work done. So if you think about, for example, if you want to launch a new product um, in a global product line um, or in a global product category, how does actually corporate center, a region um, and a country actually have to work together to develop and get the product into the market? And um, with network analysis, you can actually visualize how certain things come together, where actually people or teams working closely with each other and where are certain deconnects, um, where are certain silos. Um, and you can actually tap in and say, actually, well, in some cases, silos make sense. For example, to drive innovation in some other cases, actually silos and isolated teams um, should be connected much more, let's say, with the rest of the organization um, yeah. um, to ensure that we can bring products fast to the market, for example. That's so the two types, expertise networks and collaboration networks, and always, let's say, in connection to, um, let's say, the priorities of the given business unit. I mean, how do you see that work evolving in the coming years, or is it is it not that it is not that clarity at the moment around that? Um, I think as we always, let's say, link our, our projects and uh, initiatives to the needs of the, of the business, um, let's say we just flow, let's say, with the different uh, requirements and demands we get from the business and then try to bring in the different analytical proposition or solution or approach uh, to solve the problem. So, um, yeah, as analytics is, I think, very close to research and how research is working, um, it's really to say, okay, how can we understand what is the need of the business? And then we just bring in the right tool method um, with the corresponding data set yeah. uh, to support there the best way of decision-making. It must create some great sort of powerful stories to communicate in the business in terms of, you know, understanding, as you said, understanding expertise networks and then how, and collaboration as well and, 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 and how that can be used to support the transformation and, as you said, the development and uh, delivery of new products uh, to customers as well. That uh, must be something that really resonates with the business as well as with your colleagues in HR. Yeah, and I think it comes back to the point I mentioned in the beginning. It's not doing analytics because we want to do it or 
Um, we we do analytics to show that actually an HR intervention is working well. It always starts, let's say, what are the business priorities and how can we bring in actually the right insights into these conversations? And I think that's how you create this very natural connection to really say, um, okay, where do we want to take the business? Uh, where could be certain pain points? And what can we do about it? Um, and then just bring in, as I said, the right insights into the right conversations. Um, instead of saying, hey, we do people analytics and uh, here's an interesting use case. Um, it's really about having, let's say, the connection with the business and really supporting Really, really fascinating. I'm sure we could talk about that element for, for a lot longer, but we, Definitely. Um, I'm conscious of time. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's go back to the conversation with Ralph, where we'll discuss how workforce planning and organisational design are really two sides of the same coin. How should you know? You know, we let's get let's let's get, bring it back to what we were talking about. Really, so how should workforce planning connect with organisational design? You know, in 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 your opinion, or in in more less than an opinion, even less than an opinion, and how you're actually doing it, how you're connecting the two together. So I think, let's say, especially as, let's say, a lot of companies have to reinvent themselves. They go through, let's say, disruption, new competitors in the market, uh, digitalization, and so on. I think also organizations have to evolve. And in the past, I think a lot of companies in general look at, okay, if we look at organizational design, we look at spans, uh, span of control, layers in the organization, and then potentially we just reshuffle the organization. Um, then the more advanced companies, they all talk about agile and say, okay, from the current stage, we want to move into um, an organization, an agile organizational setup. Um, but I think it's very important to really start, okay, what are, again, our business priorities? Where do we want to take the business? And how can we actually adjust, let's say, the organizational setting um, and set up the organization the right way? Um, and saying, okay, how can we, for example, make certain things more flexible? Um, how can we, for example, when it comes to the knowledge networks, uh, say, how can we optimize actually the flow of information in the organization? Um, potentially also how is, for example, work getting defined? So what are the different work packages? Is it still your line manager who's telling these are the different work packages you have to do? Or is it actually potentially the team who can, let's say, in a very self-organized way decide um, what are the different um, work packages they have to perform and even select which work they want to do instead of the line manager saying, this is the work and you do that, you do that, and you do that. Let's say bringing more autonomy and self-organization into the organizational design as well as looking into compensation and rewards to say, okay, how do we actually reward performance um, in a more agile or self-organized setting. Um, and I think bringing then also, again, 
the analytical capability into these conversations to really um, run different assessments and actually say, actually, at the moment, we are quite hierarchical organization because we can measure, let's say, different dimensions of um, how work is getting defined, how work is getting distributed, uh, how do we reward people and teams. Um, and if we move to a more self-organized and agile setup, how are actually certain, let's say, dimensions actually changing? And how can we show that also through data to actually saying we are making progress, moving into a more, um, let's say, autonomous, agile or self-organized um, setting, um, ensuring that we still deliver against our priorities uh, and finding, let's say, the right um, organizational type. And even, let's say, moving the whole organization, I think, Different parts of the organization, they always move at a different pace because certain yeah. things work better for some parts of the organization than uh, for other parts of the organization. So it's really to find the right balance for the whole organization um, yeah, to deliver in the end on the strategic priorities with the right organization. Yeah, fascinating because then you can start seeing what is the impact, positive or negative, around customer outcomes, business outcomes, employee outcomes as well. It kind of pulls it all to links it all together and I guess analytics is the thread that kind of links all of that together a little bit uh, uh, as well and as you said you know particularly in you know in industries that are transforming and maybe being disrupted you've got certain parts of the business I guess where which are still maybe still traditional you know and you might organize those differently to the how you might organize a a more innovative part of the organization perhaps where you're looking to expand and and I guess that's where workforce planning and then, then the org design can help in, help inform that. And then the analysis can help you, you know, look at the impact on that on an ongoing basis. So fascinating. Really, really good stuff, Ralph. And so, I, again, I, I could have these podcasts could go on for a couple of hours if it was up to me, but it's not up to me, unfortunately. So, um, you know, le- leads to the question that, that we're asking everyone on this particular series um, and you've certainly touched on this, I think, in throughout really, but you, so you may want to summarize a little bit here. How can HR help the business identify the, the critical skills for the future? So I think it's really looking at the strategic priorities or the company strategy and where we really uh, want to develop um, the business to and say, okay, uh, what are in the end the critical organizational capabilities? And in the end, you always start then with. Yeah, we want to develop, let's say, our data science and analytical capability. We want to be a customer-centric organization. Um, we want to use technology and leverage all the opportunities of technology um, and so on and so on. So I think it really depends on each company, how your yeah. organizational um, capabilities uh, look like and also how you want to create a competitive advantage. But then I think really to break that down, um, to a level um, of critical skills. And what works quite well in my experience is, okay, the right level um, you achieve when it's really trainable. So when you really can say, I can actually train that. Because sometimes you stop at the competence uh, level where you say, yeah, everybody has to be proficient in data science or in leadership. And you say, well, actually, that's very, very broad. Yeah. Think about what does it mean for a CEO to be proficient in data science or for the data scientist to be proficient in data science? It's, it's just, yeah, useless, I would say. So you really have to get to a level where you say, okay, we can really provide 
the right training to a specific skill, uh, because then you can really make it also, let's say, relevant for uh, for the employee, because then the employee can go on a reskilling, upskilling journey, uh, define a plan, and say, okay, actually, these are the top five skills. Um, I don't know, three related to that organizational capability and the other two to another capability. And if I really upskill myself, I stay relevant and I can really contribute um, to, to help the company to achieve, let's say, their strategic goals. Um, and also for the company, it's, let's say, easier to tailor certain, let's say, development opportunities to different individuals um, to take them on the journey and, yeah, be successful in their job. Right. And I love that, how you, you sort of use all that information from the start in terms of our strategic priorities and then bring it down, but make it relevant for the employee and help guide them on on what they can do to, you know, get, acquire the, 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 those skills to help them, but also helps the company as well. So I think it's so important to make it make it real, isn't it? Yeah. And just coming back to one of the first questions, what is the difference compared to 10 years ago when we all, let's say, embarked in on the analytics journey? It's really to say today we are at a stage where we can use, for example, machine learning um, at scale and actually tailor um, recommendations to individuals because we know what are the skills of an individual, what are the skill gaps and at scale we can actually bring certain recommendations to an employee the same way we bring specific marketing campaigns to our customers yeah. which are, I think is now at a stage where we can use these techniques to really at scale and tailor our HR interventions to our employees and bring actually people analytics from a big buzzword from 10 years ago we do something very tangible, tailored to our employees. And how powerful is that as an employee if you're recommending certain learning interventions to acquire, I don't know, three or four new skills? Uh, and if you acquire those three or four skills, these are the sort of career paths that we've got within the company that you may or may not want to do. And, you know, then it's, I think you even talked about how you link that to compensation as well. And if you acquire these skills, you can expect, you know, you can expect this to be your compensation path as well. Um, you know, and it, it, it kind of plays those different motivators that that, that motivate employees because we're all we're all different at the end. But I love that thing around you know that using that technology, that machine learning, and and rec, you know providing those recommendations helps employees, helps the company. You know, and, and, exactly. and it's a great use of people data because, of course, you know we've got to you know we we are custodians of the people data. Uh, as it were in our organizations and if we can make it work help help it work for employees and that's got to be the right thing to do as well so uh, a great way to 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 end ralph you know i really enjoyed the conversation um thanks for being a guest on on the podcast you know can you let people listeners know how they can stay in touch with you or or follow you on social media yeah just read out uh, reach out on on linkedin um and happy to, to to come back on any questions um i suppose there will be certain posts um, and also happy to answer any questions on posts or let's say directly via LinkedIn. So happy to be in touch. Great. Well, thanks for being on the show, Ralph. And hopefully it's been a while. Hopefully we'll see each other again in person at some point in the hopefully. not the future. Hopefully. And thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight222, 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Next week on the podcast, we'll be speaking to Martin Van Beek, HR Director at ING. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.